Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable. That's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. He better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Sweden. And I'm really excited today because, you know, uh, I did a podcast a few weeks ago. Some of you that have been listening to our archives will remember that I invited on a fellow carnivore by the name of Joshua Jones. He's a pastor in the UK. And he sent me an article that I absolutely loved, but I have to give you fair warning. If there are children or if you are offended, easily offended by anything of a sexual nature, this may not be the best podcast for you. Go ahead, shut it off, move to another one. But with that kind of amazing introduction, Pastor Joshua, are you there, brother? Yeah, that was an amazing introduction, and now I'm curious as to what we're actually going to talk about. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I you sent me this this article. Um, I actually don't have it sitting in front of me right now. I have to pull it up. Um, okay. And it's it, it was a really great article about, oh, here it is. It's one that you did for a moral case for animal products, and I was hoping that we could just chat about this article, I, I sure. loved it. You gave you gave me a link to it, and it it starts okay. off. So the very first sentence, I just have to read this. Um, the very first sentence says, "Masturbation may not seem like a strange place to begin a conversation about the moral case for animal products." <laughs> so I thought, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, <laughs> that's the one. So I'm like, okay, you got my interest with the with the, with the very first sentence with the very first word. Um, I was, I mean, I'm whenever I, I don't think I've ever done a podcast, uh, mentioning masturbation before, but one of the things that comes to mind is a book that I read. It's one of my favorite books. I recommend it to everybody that has boys. It's called, um, raising boys by Dr. James Dobson. And, okay. uh, and I, and yeah. I don't know if you've ever heard of Dr. James Dobson or focus on the family or his, his teachings, but he's, he's one of my heroes. Like I really, really love him. And he, when he talks about masturbation, I won't get it exactly right, but he said, you know, 98% of all males have done this and the other 2% are lying <laughs> as, a as a clinical doctor. I love, I, I kind of loved how he started off that section, you know, when talking about raising boys. Um, anyway, yeah. I know that I just jumped in really fast. I actually just called you um, and, uh, and we went straight into recording. Uh, but before we jump in knee deep into this article, I just it, could you just take a few minutes and introduce yourself to our audience for those that this may be their first time listening to our podcast or first time hearing about you? Yeah. So uh, my name is Joshua Jones. I uh, do a lot of tweeting under the handle of uh, Blue Cheese Whiskey and also blog on Sanity's Cove. I, I also have the honor of being a pastor, a teaching pastor at Fairfield Chapel just south of Cambridge in England. And uh, in spite of my accent, which is 
probably sounds more American than, than British to uh, to most of you. Um, I grew up in the States, but have lived the last 20 years here in the UK. Uh, I've married on this side of the Atlantic. All, all my kids have been born here in England. Um, and I believe that we got in contact because of your interest in the carnivore diet. Uh, there was a little bit of um, perhaps misunderstanding about the title of a book I had written entitled Elijah Men Eat Meat, uh, which actually has nothing at all to do with the carnivore diet and everything to do with the life of Elijah and uh, a book on prayer. Uh, but it just so happens that after writing that book, I just... Uh, I got more and more into the carnivore diet myself and have put out a few uh, articles online about sort of a theological or ethical uh, defense of the carnivore diet. Yeah, and that, I mean, that's, I have actually loved, I've, for those of you that are not following Pastor Joshua on Twitter, I would highly advise you to do so. It's kind of fun. Uh, you've also been putting up similar uh, posts on dingdash.com. I've, I've really enjoyed those. It, that's, that's actually, there was, there was a blog that you wrote that led me to you. And then I learned about your book, uh, after reading your blog on the carnivore diet. Uh, but you had sure. written a tweet, um, that I love and it says, uh, the Bible refers to vegetables 13 times. It refers to meat 290 times eat biblically. <laughs> I just yeah, I thought that, that was sounds about that right. was so good. Uh, yeah, that sounds about right. So uh, I've been on Twitter uh, about ten years now, and uh, I enjoy it. And it just uh, jumped into the. Um, uh, am I saying it right? Ding dash. Yes, ding dash. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the last few weeks, and, and just still just trying to get a, a a feel for how that works. But um, s- certainly love the sense of community uh, over there. Yeah, well, I mean, it's going to have a very basic garage band feel to it, right, at the very beginning, just because, I mean, if you look at Facebook and Twitter, I mean, Facebook alone has 48,000 full-time employees. We have, like, two volunteers. Wow. <laughs> so, um, wow. uh, so we are trying to start off with the very basics without any of the bells and whistles, and then we're growing from there. Um, it is, we started Ding Dash in November. We actually launched it in November. Um, and so, yeah, so since November is when we've kind of been building it up uh, and it's gotten a lot better. So what we're doing is we're kind of working out the kinks and everything. So it's a little clunky. Um, it's a little dorky. And we accept that. We own that title. But uh, we we love the fact that, you know, it gives an alternative for people that, one, you know, I mean, if you're a Westerner and you don't want to share your information, you don't want to be monitored, you don't want to be force-fed propaganda, um, then we give you kind of a landing place. Um, if you get kicked off of Twitter, like, uh, you know, I've just seen some, some Christians, especially like from Bethel in Redding, California, they've been kicked off Twitter. They've been blocked in, from Twitter. Um, and wow. so we, we kind of have a landing page for those individuals, but that's never been our focus. Our focus has yeah. always been for the persecuted Christians that are living in closed countries that do not have access to any yeah. of the other social media sites. But I think that outside of communication, your posts have been enjoyable. They've been thought provoking. Um, and so, yeah, the carnivore diet, I love to connect just because I think it's fun as someone who's been a missionary for over 20 years, 
you either talk about the toilet or food. Those are the two conversation yeah. topics that <laughs> that you end up falling back on every single time you're on a long trip with any missionary whatsoever. So, you know, I found food to be a little bit more um, allowable maybe for a format like this. So I'm really happy that you came on and, and joined us. Um, but... Let me let me just shift focus for a minute and and move over to this article. I don't know how much of it, you know, I know that it, it you don't have everything that you've written kind of in a photographic memory, I'm assuming. Uh, but this one was called A Moral Case for Animal Products. And the reason I like this is because there there is a moral case being made for a a, a plant-based diet. Yeah. So th this article was uh, defensive in posture. Uh, it was probably written uh, two years ago when um, here in the UK, at least, veganism sort of reached a, a fevered pitch in terms of its um, ethical edge. And it, it was really coming to the church. Um, one Christian publishing uh, house named, uh, I believe they're called Grove Publishing, uh, released a book called um, the, the Christian case for a plant-based diet. And it, it was appealed to um, uh, ethics um, and social consciousness for us to sort of give up our meats uh, and related animal products, eggs, dairy, these sorts of things, in order to adopt uh, a plant-based diet. And so this was sort of a, a response to the points that had been raised. Now, uh, I always clarify whenever I'm speaking um, on this subject, uh, I have no ethical concerns against vegans or vegetarians. If people want to eat exclusively plant-based food, that is, that's fantastic. I believe that a big emphasis of the New Testament is freedom to eat according to our conscience. Um, this is one isn't a response to vegans or vegetarians per se, but rather um, the vegan activists who would say not just that eating exclusively plant-based food is enjoyable, but that it is morally superior. And if you are not adopting that sort of diet, there is a moral deficiency at play within you. Yeah, which which I love because I think that there's in with with what you just stated, I think in addition there is also this secret guilt-based um feeling that we could easily have as as meat eaters. And I'm not talking about carnivores, someone who eats, you know, gets 99% of the calorie intake from meat like myself, but I'm talking about individuals that might enjoy meat and then feel like, do I need to become a closet eater? Because I really like meat. And obviously it's something that is, like you said, it's, it, there is a, there is a moral problem with consuming animal products. Yeah. And, you know, as Christians, we have a history of dealing with this. Uh, many of our listeners may remember that when Paul wrote to Timothy in the his first letter, he explicitly says that, you know, as the latter times, uh, you know, as they unravel, that there will be the demonic uh, teachings that come will affect both marriage and food that God had ordained to be eaten. I believe that's uh, chapter four there at the beginning. And. Church history records that we've had all sorts of various uh, strange teachings come into the church concerning marriage. And uh, certainly for many centuries, it thought if you were going to be in clergy or leadership of any, any kind, you shouldn't be married. 
but also this uh, idea of uh, a plant-based diet really reoccurs. It seems like every couple hundred years. And it's usually adopted by the intellectual elite. It has sort of a, an aura of sophistication around it. Certainly many of the early Christians dealt with this with many of the uh, Platonists who thought, you know, that um, the flesh was inherently evil, that you were more spiritual if you're eating vegetables. Uh, in the Middle Ages, the, you know, the Catholic Church had many different laws about what days you could eat meat and what sorts of meats you could eat. And a big part of the Ref Protestant Reformation that we usually forget about or overlook is Luther not only uh, reinstituted a biblical doctrine of marriage, you know, he married a renegade nun, um, him being a former monk, but also he reintroduced um, freedom to eat butter, eggs, meat. There was a butter ban in Europe at the time, and the Protestants actually fought against the, the butter ban. And at the turn of the century, about 100 years or so ago, you know, there was Kellogg, Mr. Kellogg, the cereal, like the cereal guy who is a Seventh-day Adventist, which, you know, they have some strict teachings regarding what sorts of meats are appropriate. Uh, but at the time, it was thought masturbation was the, kind of the chief of all sins. And Mr. Kellogg's philosophy is that if we could just got, get people to stop eating animal products for breakfast, you know, no more bacon and eggs and things and get them to eat like cornflakes, that that would sort of kill their lust because it was just so boring. <laughs> I mean, when I read that, I mean, you, you cover that kind of in your first in your first paragraph. I was like, this is I've never heard that before. So, I mean, you know, whenever I hear of Dr. Kellogg or Kellogg's cornflakes or whatever, I just automatically think of breakfast of yeah. cereal. Right. And so yeah. uh, this this side note of, uh, you know, an evil act that could be conquered by, you know, changing your diet. I, that was completely new for me. You know, I, I think there may be some truth uh, in that because um, we, the average male today has 30% less testosterone than their grandfathers did. Uh, the, you know, there is a, a low S, you know, testosterone. Um, it's really an, an epidemic among modern uh, men today. And it, it probably is related uh, to our diet and a lot of what we eat. I don't want to chalk that all up to cornflakes. Um but it is true that the average testosterone level of, of men have gone down, and it, and it does affect our, our sex drive. So it, his mission may be actually be working more effectively than one might think. Yeah, I'm, because, I mean, if you think about cornflakes, uh, there has been a really large emphasis, a, a huge emphasis in the last hundred years, especially, yeah. to to have for, for people to go healthily to a grain-based diet where the, the grains make up the majority of your diet yeah. and grain consumption has grown quite a bit. Uh, oh, and, yeah. and that has been at the recommendation of doctors. That's been at the recommendation of school. I mean, I can remember I, if I was able to get my hands pyramid? on Yeah, exactly. If I could get my hands uh -huh. on my health book. You know, as I learned about my body, as I learned about sexual health, as I learned about biology, as I learned about all yeah. of these things, the one thing that I learned about as well was a healthy, balanced diet where the overwhelming majority of that food pyramid, like you said, the base of it, the biggest portion of it was grains and vegetables. Yeah. Yeah. The grain industry helps subsidize that uh, research, I think. Um there uh, nowadays, uh, I think I've, uh, you and me both have probably flipped that uh, pyramid up on its head. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't touch grains on purpose any longer unless it's a cheat day and I'm going for a McDonald's hamburger with yeah. the bun. Uh, but I can, and I, and I come from the same direction as you do. Like I, we, I have people that I deeply care about work together with that are, you know, very conscientious eaters. They are vegan. Uh, they are vegetarian. They do not consume any meat whatsoever. Uh, and I, you know, we have people on our Chinese team, Chinese individuals that will not touch meat. Uh, and, yeah. uh, and, and they have various reasons why not, none of it's really religious, but it does have to do with, um, the, the idea of loving animals. There's one that I work with. She just doesn't like the texture of meat in her, on her mouth at all. It makes her yeah. gag. Um, so, yeah. and, and so I, I have nothing but praise and it may be that one day, you know, I will not require what I require today and I will move towards yeah. a more plant-based diet. Um, so I'm not, I definitely don't want to put any pressure on anybody listening to this podcast at all. But what I love what you're doing, uh, is like, you're breaking these chains of people that might feel guilty and guilty for theological reasons for yeah. eating meat. So let's, let, let's jump into this, um, for, for the sake of our listeners, uh, because when it comes to, uh, you know, this, this idea of meat eating, meat eating as Christians, the, the first question that might come up is maybe more theological or maybe more, more accurately, we'd say it, biblical. And that is, well, what does the Bible say about meat? And anyone who picks up the Bible and just reads Genesis to Revelation would never be under any sort of impression that the God of Christian scripture has any objections to meat eating. Um, you know, from it's commended, it's provided. God's people pray. He sends them quail. They're hungry. Jesus makes fishes. Jesus rises from the dead. And the only three things that are recorded of him eating are animal products, twice fish and once honey. Um, and so Isaiah has a vision of the future of heaven and it includes wine and aged meats, it says in Isaiah. So constantly you're, you're getting uh, the eating of animal products praised in both testaments all throughout. And so that's kind of a solid case where, where the waters get a bit murky. And I'm hoping maybe we can discuss this um, idea is then some people will say, OK, well, from a, a strictly biblical point of view, there's nothing wrong with me per se. However, the Bible was written a long time ago and ethical Situations were different back then. The world was a different place. Animals were raised in different ways. And the, the world population was much, much smaller. Given today factory farming and the environment and, uh, you know, how many more billions of people live on the earth? Is it really the responsible thing to do to eat meat? Is it uh, loving of your neighbor and loving of creation? So, yes, it was fine back then, but we live in a different day. So if we take broad Christian principles and apply them today, maybe we should reduce or, or give up meat in, in terms of a plant-based diet. And, and this is really where uh, Dr. Ian Paul, who I, I kind of engaged with in the article, as well as, uh, you know, I don't know if you got any feedback from our blog. I, I have one fellow, I'm not, he, he's actually a, a Christian in the Muslim world, and so I'm not going to mention him uh, by name. Uh, he does fantastic work, solid uh, Christian guy, really a, a friend in many ways. Um, and, but he's, uh, definitely through, uh, through, I believe his wife or his family, 
definitely more on the plant-based side of things. Yeah, no, I have gotten uh, feedback. Uh, just to answer that really quick, I have yeah. gotten feedback, but the feedback is not exactly the kind of feedback I wanted. It was feedback from individuals that said, "I've gone all meat-based. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to go carnivore." And I'm like, ah, I don't want to convince anybody to go carnivore. Yeah. I just think it's fun. And it works yeah. for me, but I don't want to sell it. Like I, I love what you and I are doing right now, right? Like we're yeah. like you know taking away that guilt, uh, opening up all of the possibilities. As long as it's good for your body and you're taking care of the temple, right? That yeah. Jesus has given us freedom uh, to choose and eat according to our environment, according to our service, according to our, our yeah. health needs. Um, but I don't want to be a carnivore evangelist in any way. And uh, yeah. so <laughs> that feedback I have gotten, I've gotten at least three people that have written to me and said, I'm carnivore now. Uh, and I wow. think it's fun. I think it's fun. I like it. Um, I kind of feel like a bit of an instigator doing it. And that, kind of yeah. makes me happy but on the same token i i don't want to push people in this way yeah. i just i like the information being presented so especially since it go it flies in the face of the majority of what we consume about yeah. diets and information so i think it's so contrary to what we would consider to be common sense that it takes a minute before we realize that what we've been fed for the last hundred years has not exactly been uh, above board. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't know if this makes me a carnivore evangelist. Like I, I think I said on the previous podcast, I'm not actually that strict a carnivore. Um, my meals are, you know, mostly uh, animal product based. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm not, uh, I don't follow it so strictly, even though I kind of defend it uh, quite a lot. <laughs> I do. Um, I, I'm, I, because yeah. I'm a big, I love meat. So I don't, I don't yeah. follow it religiously because I have to, or because I'm regimented. I just love it yeah. so much that I don't want to waste space with so, anything else. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so now I, I mean, I have a few things in mind and, you know, I, I think I probably shared them in the article, but if someone comes to you and says, listen, it's okay, you're eating all this meat, but isn't it, isn't, your Christian duty to, uh, aren't you hurting the environment or, uh, aren't, you know, isn't it somehow unloving to people? If you're eating all this meat, maybe somebody else on the other side of the world isn't getting meat because you're eating it. Um, or do you ever get ethical objections like this? Because I think it's worth reflecting on these issues because it seems to be what the where the main objections come from. Yeah, no, I I mean when you look at people that are, you know, wanting to protect the environment and I'm an environmentalist, uh, I you know, I I just went on a 3-day hike. I just got back yesterday from a 3-day hike with my son. I absolutely love the fact that we don't have to carry water with us anywhere. We yeah. just we just have a cup and we grab water directly from any stream, any lake at any time. And that's the entire time we drink water. It's all from, you know, nature. And so I, I love taking care of the environment that we live in. I'm on board with that. But when it comes to global warming or, or climate change in some of the articles, one of the things that they really push hard about the responsibility of taking care of the earth is the methane gases that are released from cattle. And that mm -hmm. cattle are such a big part of the Western diet that if we consumed less beef, we would be more uh, caring for our environment. So yeah, I yeah. have I have heard these arg arguments quite a bit, and they're sure. very compelling. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so if someone says, "Well, in light of that, 
maybe you need to reduce that meat intake and eat a few more cornflakes. Uh, and someone challenges you on it from a Christian perspective. How, how do you find yourself responding? Uh, I point them to the blog that you just, uh, you just sent to me. <laughs> Um, Seriously, uh, you do. So uh, for those of you, you know, for those of you that are listening to this podcast, I would highly recommend that you go and look for this. It's on a blog that's called sanitiescove.com, sanity-cove.com. And you lay out a number of moral reasons for animal products. So you don't just talk about um, the defense of it theologically through both the Old and New Testament, but you go through and I feel like you take a, a very fair, uh, not, I mean, you're not assassinating, um, those that don't like meat or meat products or are on a crusade to end meat consumption, but you, you do lay out, I think a very reasonable, uh, argument against, and then for, uh, eating meat. Um, and you do that through a series of moral reasons. One of them being environmental, uh, you mm-hmm. do that, uh, which I thought was really, really great because it's something that I have shared with people before um, about the, the the amount of land that has to be um, kind of recultivated or repurposed in order to make it arable, in order to make it uh, ready for agriculture. Also, yeah. you point out how little of the world's land is actually can be used for agriculture, but how much of it can be used for livestock, which is quite a big difference. So, and you do point out the CO2 emissions uh, in the atmosphere with doing uh, farming for grains and and vegetable products, as well as for animal products. So I, I, I really, I, I'm not being facetious when I say that, you know, I would point them to this article. This is a very well laid out argument. One of the best that I've seen. Sure. Well, thank you very much. Um, let me just though. So, you know, if, if some people are listening and, and they feel, you know, they want to try the carnivore diet, but, um, they've maybe heard a, a lot of the more aggressive, uh, vegan ethical uh teachings come their way you know a couple things that just come to mind and i think there's maybe probably more in in the article um it's been two years now since i've written so it's a bit fuzzy in my head but first of all for for some of us our bodies flourish under diets that are centered on animal-based products they just do you know you've talked about your health i've uh, in the previous podcast shared my own story um and that may sound like it has nothing to do with loving your neighbor at first, but, but it's actually huge. And particularly here in England, in a place where we have a national health service. Uh, previous to getting on this diet, I was on regular medication, pills I had to take every day. Well, guess who paid for those pills on the national health service? Well, my neighbors did, you know. Um, in the national health service, my, my neighbors pay for my health if I am not in good health. If if I get old and you know if I so much of my health has changed for the better. I'm not going to the dentist as often. I'm not going to the doctors as often. I'm not taking medicine as often. That's saving my neighbors a huge amount of money. It's a great way of loving my neighbors, my children. If 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 I get old and get poor health, just it's not just about living longer. It's about being healthy when you're older. And one way I can love my children is to eat in such a way that my body flourishes and does well. Taking care of your health is one of the great ways 
of yeah, a loving your neighbor. And, and if I could just jump in here, um, when you were talking about health, it was it reminded me of a of a message that I got from a teacher. I'm not going to say her name, but she was a volunteer for us in China. So what she did is she went into China and she taught English at an underground house church language training center that we had in Western China, and she had to leave out a, earlier than what she wanted, earlier than what we wanted, uh, because her she was just suffering from so many different health issues. And so yeah. she, she wrote to me, and this is direct, so I'm going to read direct from her message uh, that was just sent to me on Monday, yesterday. Yeah. said, uh, hi, Eugene. I loved your podcast about the carnivore. Um, I have recently started down that road, and I've been feeling great. I have been LCHF, that's low-carb, high-fat, uh, for several years, and her, heard Jordan Peterson talk about carnivore. A big part of why I got sick in China was eating way more carbs and sugar than my system was ready for. I just hated that. Hated to leave as soon as I did. Love B to J and love what you're doing. So she wrote that and then, you know, yeah. uh, then she wrote back and said, you know, I'm certainly not a carnivore evangelist, but here, and then she mentions her church, which I'm not going to say. She said, I have to be very quiet about it. If it got out, many attempts to deliver me would be made. Many sermons preached at me. <laughs> she said, I enjoy it and I feel great. I love this new adventure and I love trying new things. So um, I, I think that this is in line with what you just said. Yeah. Um, if, I, if, I can make, if I can, I'd like to make bring up one or two other obje ethical objections. Yes, please. And probably the most fair. And, and I'm trying to represent the the vegan activist well, they might say, well, look at animal cruelty. Look at the slaughterhouses. Look at, um, you know, the, these factories where animals are kept in small cages and force-fed artificial diets. They have terrible lives and then they're slaughtered in some of the most inhumane ways. Certainly a Christian would object to that cruelty and want to boycott that so sort of industry. Now, that I think is a, a fair objection. I don't think that necessarily leads you to veganism, but I do think it's it's one, it's a fair one for Christians to consider. I absolutely. I mean, it, one of the things that and I know and I, I know, right, that it there is a certain element in society that can easily pay extra for the costs that are are naturally a part of eating free-ranged chickens or having uh you know grazing cattle and not being yeah. in these factories because when you put them in a small space and you just crank out that grain you get them fat happy and slaughter them uh with these miserable lives it it's actually you you get products for a lot cheaper. Um, we yeah. pay a little bit more for our meat here in Sweden, but I'm happy yeah. to do that just because it, I think that that's a legitimate, uh, uh, cause like animals should not have to suffer their entire lives. Um, yeah. and so I'm, I am big, I'm on board with that argument. I'm a fellow, Crusader, I'm with you on that. Um, yeah. I would say yeah. that I would not want to attack it where the far that kind of farmer is my enemy. It's just yeah. there, there, there are people that have different ideas of what is animal cruelty and what is not. So yeah. I, I would want to approach those farmers and those consumers in a way that doesn't d demon uh, like demonize them. If that makes sense. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, what is animal cruelty is yeah, not always a clear line. I remember, I think it was uh, over in the United States in Florida, there was a big campaign by the PETA branch of Florida that said, you know, feminists shouldn't eat eggs because it's abusing females or something like this, you know. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, it's a bit of a stretch sometimes or, you know, feminists don't drink milk because uh, it involves touching another female's a cow's boobs or, you know, is <laughs> sort of the, the reasoning. Uh, I gotta love PETA. Yeah. I mean, for no other reason, they are a source of entertainment. These guys, they're yeah. so ridiculous that they sound, half of their, their headlines, I feel like, come straight from Babylon B. Well, all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I don't, I don't want to, once again, I'm, I'm trying, uh, I really, it's not fair to, to straw man uh, the vegan activists, because yes, not yes. all vegan activists subscribe to PETA. Um, I, I think it, it's fair to say, and I, I would agree, you know, with your point. Similarly, I, I, I've been fortunate enough to live close enough to farmers where I get, I uh, can go to get raw milk. I can see where the cows are raised. Um, they're living out, having a great life on the green grass and eating, you know, bugs and the chickens are out there eating worms. And, um, you know, they, they, they live good lives. The, the eggs and the meat and the, the, the raw milk that I drink, it's, um, but not everyone has that ability. Um, now, I buy straight from the farmer, so it doesn't really cost me more. I don't have to go to some, you know, uh, hippie shop that buys all these things. I cut out the middleman. And so I'm not paying more for these things. But a lot of people don't live in those sorts of places. Um, I would, I suppose, I'm, a lot of times in, in life, we have these ethical choices. So let's say you're a single mom living in the city. You can't get out to the farms. But you want to feed your kids protein um, and all you can afford is the cheapest meat. You know, then you're having the ethical question. Well, OK, do I, do I get pigs from a slaughterhouse that maybe wasn't the most ethical or, you know, or do my kids go without meat? I'm sorry, am I describing that well? You know, I, I can't afford the free range stuff. But I, I still believe it's I want to give my kids the best food possible. Um, it raises up the whole question of what, what is that Christian should boycott, you know? Um, yeah, and I mean, this affects me directly. I know that, for instance, Tyson Chicken is one of these big companies that often, you know, does this this factory farming for for with their chickens. And my stepfather works at Tyson, and so that yeah. is his employment. And, uh, you know, he was, uh, he's been kind of a, a little bit like a janitor there where he cleans out these bins after they've been used to process the chicken. So, uh, you know, by going after these companies that are unethical in some ways, uh, you are also attacking livelihoods, not just the, the, the mother, the single mother or the poor yeah. urbanite that can't afford the food, but also yeah. those that are on a lower income scale that are being employed by these companies. Yeah. that you know that make yeah. the food and produce the food in that kind of unethical manner depending on you know your sure. your grading of ethics yeah um but i think the point maybe both of us are getting at is that yes there are there's some there is an aspect to industrial livestock that is unethical but the answer isn't necessarily veganism we point to things like well one regenerative farming practices that you and I would both support. But, you know, you can turn the argument back around. Well, what about industrial agriculture? Like, you know, to get all these 
you know, meatless burgers and all these sort of exotic vegan products you got, you know, you have to go in and just level wildernesses and fields, Angola, Brazil. I mean, uh, soy fields. Now, I know some of soy fields goes to feed livestock, but a lot of soy fields also go to the milk and the fake meats and the, the other thing, the Vedum projects. You have to go in and wipe out whole fields, killing mice and rabbits and, you know, the, the local ecosystems. There's there's always blood on your plate. Even if you're a vegan that's, that's eating meat-free and uh, dairy-free and everything else, there's always going to be blood on your plate. The, there had to be a, a field mouse to die to grow that corn or, or, or those grains or, or whatever else it is that you're eating. Um, and you could try to count up the body count. Like if you're, you know, living off, I, I'm sure you could live for a long time on one cow who lived on a, in a field in harmony with its ecosystem. And you got to consider, well, you know, how many field mice and rabbits and other things did uh, a, a grain eater eat? Um, and those are hard things to quantify. But, but either way, because we're at the top of the food chain as human beings, we're sort of the apex predators. If you trace it back, there's always going to be blood on our plate. So it's, it's not something just that the carnivore has to ethically deal with. Yeah, and you point that out really well uh, in your article. You've given it a couple. Uh, so, you know, kind of just going through, um, you start off with a moral reason. You Secondly, you start talking about, you know, caring for animals with a meat-based diet. Um, and then you move into environment. And that's one of the things that you talk about in, in a pretty good way. It's all sourced. Um, you obviously, this is not, this is a blog. It's not a book. So it's not like, you know, this entire dissertation on how, um, it, you know, eating a plant-based diet can also negatively impact the environment. It's not, I'm not saying that it, you are against the environment if you're vegan and you're for the environment if you're carnivore, but both yeah, no. have pluses and minuses if you make an environmental argument. And I thought that you did that really well. Sure. Um, I, and lastly, and this would maybe the last valid vegan point that's brought up, and they would talk about the distribution of meat. And in this, I think uh, it's a it's a fair argument, although it's, it's much more than just meat. I mean, how many luxury comforts, goods do we have in, in many of our countries that uh, people in other parts of the world don't have? And it is a question, I think, of you know distribution of resources. Um, one of the ways that we can ensure the world has sufficient meat is learning to eat uh, more nose to tail. I mean, when we kill a, a, a lamb or a goat or a cow, most Westerners only eat maybe a third of it, 40 percent. You know, we, we kind of eat the muscle meat. All the organs and a lot of the bones. It's like we don't know what to do with all the other stuff. Uh, we we kind of throw that away. But that's fairly recent. Uh, throughout most of history, people have eaten, known what to do with the liver and the brains and the heart and how to cook that. And you take the bones and boil it and make it into stock. I'm fortunate enough to be able to go to a, a local butcher's who just gives me stuff that parts of the animal that nobody else wants. And and there are ways of using these things so that we're not nearly as wasteful. Um, and I think if that would, that's at least part of the answer in helping to ensure that other people uh, can get more meat products. Because, you know, the majority of vegans in the world are, are not the elite, rich, 
buying supplements, sort of Western vegans. They're, they're involuntary vegans. You know, the, the world's poorest just can't afford meat. Um, and, and they're forced to eat vegetables. And they would love to be able to give their kids some solid protein, some nutrient-rich um, meat, you know, to, to help them grow. Um, and, you know, they can't, obviously, they can't afford the nice supplementation to get the lack of B12 and vitamin D and all these other things in their diet. Um, so, you know, how we can help them, I, I think there's a legitimate concern there. And things like taxing meat, taxing butter, taxing dairy products, that just puts nutrient-dense animal products further out of the reach of poor people. Yes. Yeah, I completely agree. One of the things that uh, kind of struck me when you were talking about that is this is a, a common issue with back to Jerusalem missionaries from China. Many of them are living on this missionary income in China, which is a very, very low amount of money. It's basically what you need in order to survive. And so they may only consume meat once a week or once every two weeks. And so when we bring them out to the field in other countries for training, uh, sometimes we have to feed them for a couple weeks before we start to see the kind of natural uh, physical ability that you would see from a young 20-year-old or 19, 18-year-old. Yeah. We, have, we have young individuals, mainly women, yeah. um, that will come out and join us in the, in, in the hills uh, in, a, in a certain country where we have a training facility in Southeast Asia. And they cannot hike for five minutes up a hill. Because they're just yeah. completely depleted of energy. But we give them a couple of weeks, a couple of months of you know having meat as a part of their diet every day. Um, yeah. You see that they're capable of going on and they need it. They need to go out to these remote villages and preach the gospel as a part of their exposure cross-cultural training. But yeah. it, without that, if we were to maintain that mainly vegetarian diet that they have inside of China, which... By the way, mainly these are, even though there are uh, rural um, uh, missionaries coming from rural areas of China, they've spent their teenage years growing up in a very densely urban area where they don't have to move that much. So yeah. their physical requirements of physical activity is not that high. And I think a lot of people, when they see Chinese, like in a place like Zhengzhou or Hangzhou or one of the cities where we're at, yeah. they're thinking, wow, these guys are super healthy because none of them are overweight. But yeah. once you get one of these individuals, which by looking at them, they they look pretty pretty lean, pretty slender, yeah. but not an ounce of muscle and not and, and almost yeah. zero ability for doing anything that requires physical endurance for long periods of time. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, you know, it's this. <laughs> they might be plant based, but it's involuntary. Yeah. Yes. And I, um, and I thought that was a really, you know, when you talk about the majority of vegans being involuntary, I, I mean, that automatically hits us square in the face because, yeah. you know, that's our backyard. I mean, most of the people yeah. that we work with, not just Chinese, but also Tibetan, Bhutanese, Nepal, yeah. Indian, you know, they're, they're also largely plant-based diet, but it's because of their economy. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, oh. One of one of the things that I really um, also I'm I'm going to you know kind of bring this to an end. I really enjoy our times mm-hmm. and you know just in, in sharing. Um, oh, before before we come to an end, I got I do have a really quick question. It's a little bit off the beaten path. My mind kind of wandered there a little bit when you were talking about going to your local butcher. Since you have been you know eating from nose mm-hmm. to tail kind of concept, mm-hmm. what? organ or body part of the animal have you found to be wow i had no clue <laughs> it would be that good um i uh, well I, i'll share both ends one is i've never liked liver and for the last few years i've been eating a lot of liver and i still don't like liver <laughs> and so i haven't developed a taste for that however i found ways to hide it so if i'm making chili or bolognese um, and when I make bolognese, I cook the pasta and put the bolognese on top and I, I give that to my children and then I just eat the bolognese, the meat sauce, you know, without the pasta. Awesome. Um, but I mix liver in there. I take liver and puree it and mix it in there with the ground beef. And the kids can't taste it because, you know, there's tomato <laughs> and oregano and all these strong tastes. So they can't taste the liver. And I put it in meatballs. And so I, I grind up organ meats, maybe a little kidney, a little heart. And I, and I use that with mints. Uh, and for those of us who were raised without a taste for organ meats, which I'm one, uh, and we have a hard time developing a taste for it, mixing it in with ground beef, um, especially if it's well seasoned, well spiced is, is one great way to get more organ meats. But the thing I probably just love the most is, um, the, the bones, the carcasses, the feet, and, and turning that into this rich, thick golden broth that you can just put in anything and it just increases the taste and richness of it richness of it uh, my my, my uh, butcher will give me all these chicken carcasses or pig's feet or beef bones that i have this giant um, big giant pot i fill it up fill it up with water and then simmer it for 24 to 48 hours oh, uh, wow. and just that, simmer that it sounds, all down it becomes this thick, awesome golden stuff that you can make soup out of you can uh, put in your chili and you're like wow you taste it you never knew um that could taste this good and so it just you know draws all the nutrients the proteins out of those things um you know especially things like pig's feet which you know butchers just throw away you simmer those for a long time you're gonna have a a base for an incredible soup even if you put vegetables and other things in the soup man you're just uh it's it's, don't make soup out of water you'll you'll never make soup with water again you're gonna use real broth yeah that i mean i know that this is not a cooking show but dude that is a that is so um i mean i love it i love that i love bone broth that that's one of the things that i've fallen in love with i have started to find certain organ meats that i really enjoy so um tonight i will have some friends come over and join us that i that we just neighbors that we met um not too long ago and and uh, so we will have uh some meat and cheese that we will be serving and one of those meats which doesn't sound that appetizing i promise it tastes nothing like it sounds um it's uh, reindeer heart smoked yeah. 
So we 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 smoke uh, the reindeer heart, and it has an amazing hearty flavor. It doesn't taste like an organ, you know. Organs. Yeah. I, I eat a lot of organs, and not on purpose yeah. either. When you live in China, yeah. you eat everything. Uh, yeah. A lot of stomach, um, a lot of heart, gizzards. Uh, you know, yeah. if chicken feet, everything that that comes out. I can remember our first missionaries going into Nepal. Um, and I went with them and we went to the yeah. market yeah. after they've been there and, and, um, they wanted to buy a chicken and then they were buying the chicken. They're like, where's the head and the feet? And they're like, yeah. they're, they're, you know, in the garbage. And the Chinese are like, no, you're not cheating me. I want, I want yeah. the head and the feet. Like, I, I paid good money for this. I want the whole chicken. Um, because yeah. you know, all of that is a part of making the most of the animal, which I think is really great. Um, you know, um, uh, you have written, so the last time we were together, we talked about one of the books that we've written, but I think you've written a few other things as well, right? Uh, so the, the main book that I have out there is Elijah Men Eat Meat. It's, you know, these devotional readings on the life of Elijah. Uh, but I do have a couple other uh, smaller things that I put out as well. Yeah. Uh, one, a book on friendship that I put out there. Um, primarily, and then a, a short he book. Um, I, I almost hesitate to mention it in the context of our current discussion, but it was on uh, uh, theology of cannibalism. <laughs> yes, perfect for a carnivore diet discussion. Yeah, I, I just want to say that was put out long before I was on the carnivore diet. It has absolutely nothing to do with my own personal life choices. Um, but yes, we, we talk about uh, cannibalism uh, in that book and primarily uh, for the fans of like the Hannibal Lecter series, Silence of the Lambs, <laughs> that sort of thing. Well, I, I have to tell you, uh, I really enjoyed our first conversation I absolutely love this one. I want to thank you so much for coming back on. Um, yes, great th joy. There great is joy. A, there again. There is a blog that I highly recommend. I'm going to put it up again on Ding Dash so that everybody can see it. Um, it's a great resource. It's a great place to kind of begin if you do feel guilty about consuming meat. This is this is a great place to see what the Bible says, not just to make you feel better, but I really do think that it is a very well-grounded, founded, biblical defense of eating meat um, to make you sleep better at night, hopefully. Uh, there's also an amazing book that is not necessarily for carnivores, as we talked about on our first podcast, but it is a great book nonetheless, especially as it relates to, I believe, what we're seeing with progressivism today. It's called Elijah Men Eat Meat. Um, you can find that on Amazon. Is there anywhere else you could get that besides Amazon or is Amazon the best place? Amazon's definitely the best place. You know? All right, great. And then is, there's a couple other books. It's in Kindle and paperback. Okay. So either format. Excellent. And, uh, and then you had mentioned a couple of other, your other books or booklets, uh, forbidden yeah. friendships and the cross and the cannibal is what I'm looking at right now and also yeah. available on Amazon. So if you are listening yeah. the to this one podcast, we're, the one we're working on now and, uh, talking to one publisher about is, um, uh, front taken from the book of Esther following the life of Esther and Mordecai called the girl and the guardian. Um, and it will have some theological reflections on beauty as well as sort of be a creative retelling, particularly geared for a young adult audience. But, um, yeah, that, that'll be hitting the shelves next year, hopefully. Awesome. And when that comes out, brother, I hope that you come on. We would love to have you and promote it to all of everybody that's, that's, uh, in our reach. 
Cool. Thank you. And it's great. Enjoy. Totally enjoy being on your podcast. Happy to do it again sometime. Awesome. Thank you so much, Pastor Joshua. Have a good day. God bless you. And uh, yeah. Thank you, Eugene. Enjoy your meal. All right. (laughs) All right. Bye. Thank you. It's just an amazing pastor. Uh, I'm assuming I'm not a part of his congregation, never even met the guy, but I just loved our conversations online. I think that he makes a very fair, balanced approach when it comes to uh, sharing about the the uh, eating meat as the main source of calories for your diet. And again, if you do, this is so, so important. Before I end this podcast, I really want to put this out there as a, I don't know if you want to say a disclaimer or a side note or a focus point, but if you don't eat meat, please know that this podcast is not against you. If you do not consume meat, I think that is awesome. Um, there might be, like I like I said with Pastor Joshua, there might be a time in my life where I may not be consuming meat, but I'm not there right now. I might come to a different conclusion at a later part of my life, depending on my health. But right now, my health, it seems to be working with the diet that I currently have. So in no way, if you are a vegan or a vegetarian or you adopt a low-fat, low-calorie diet as is preferred from, you know, U.S. health books, as we've been talking about, and most um, uh, doctors prescribe, I would say that you keep your diet, uh, especially as it relates to your audience. I'm sorry, as it relates to your doctor, not your audience, especially as it relates to your doctor. If you've talked to your doctor about a certain diet that you're on, do not change it because you've listened to this podcast. Um, We just want to make it clear for those that do consume meat that the Bible defends it and there are many environmental reasons why it's good. There are many health reasons why it's good. There are uh, several reasons if you love animals and are compassionate for animals that a meat-based diet is good. So we just want to do this podcast one because I think it's fun. That's <laughs> I, as someone who lives and works inside of China and travels all around the Middle East, Asia, and Africa, and consumes so many different meals with people from around the world. I love to talk about food, and I love to talk about diets. And I think that it's something that a lot of Christians end up discussing at one point or another. That's why. I wanted to make it a part of our Back to Jerusalem podcast. I want to thank you so much for joining us during this special podcast. And I pray that it was as much of a blessing for you as it has been for me. Again, I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time. And I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Sweden. God bless.